0: Welcome to the podcast. Our mission is for every man, woman, and child to be empowered with the knowledge of how to be happy. The goal of this show is to introduce you to the people and the ideas that will help you live truly fulfilling lives. And today I'm speaking with Maria Konnikova. Maria is an award winning journalist and the author of two New York Times bestsellers, Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes, and The Confidence Game, which is an investigation into the minds, motives, and methods of con artists. Her latest book, The Biggest Bluff, is a journey into the world of high-stakes poker. It's an exploration of the role that luck plays in our lives and what it truly means to take control of our own destinies. Maria doesn't do things half-heartedly, so in the process of researching this book, she went from having never played a single game of poker in her life to becoming an international poker champion, turning professional and earning over $300,000 in tournament earnings. Maria, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: I was just saying before we click record. This is um, it was an app. I I I I don't normally like just come straight out and just say how much I adore people's books, but I I really really loved it. It was it was so much fun, and um, I was I, I wasn't expecting to know. I wasn't expecting to learn so much about life and human nature in a book about <laughs> poker. But I think I think you very clearly say it. it's a, it's a poker book, but it's so much more. It's not a it's not a book about poker. It is a book about decision making how we deal with chance yeah it's great so thank you for being on the show
1: well thank you so much that really means a lot i mean that's that's why writers write right to to get positive responses to get responses um and the fact that you read the book that you got something out of it um that's all the motivation that we need to keep going
0: Perfect. Well, today we got about 30 minutes. And so I'm going to, I'm going to chuck some questions at you. And because there's, cause I just, I was taking so many notes and I was like, okay, I've got to ask about that. I want to learn. And so I want to pick your brains. But, um, the psychologist Richard Wiseman once ran a study where half the participants were people who considered themselves lucky. The other half were people who considered themselves unlucky. W- what happened in that study?
1: It's such a fun study. He he's a master at creating studies that you read and you just they make you smile, um, but they also teach you something very important. And then in this particular study, he had people. The assignment was to count the number of photographs in a newspaper and to report back. And the unlucky people took multiple minutes, whereas the so-called lucky people um, took a matter of seconds. And the difference between them was on the third page, when you turn the page of the newspaper, um, the lucky ones had noticed that in big letters it said stop counting. And it told you how many photographs there were going to be in this newspaper and the so-called unlucky people just didn't see that because it wasn't a picture it was text so they just kept right on going and the thing that I take away from that and I think that one of the things that we really need to understand about luck I mean first of all there is such a thing as luck there's variance there's chance and you can't control it it's not like I actually hate sentences that say oh you know you make your own luck. Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. No, there really is luck that you do not make. Your luck of birth, all of the, all of these things that are completely out of your control. And that's important. However, people who thought of themselves as lucky, they're more observant. They're more aware. They're taking in more information. And that puts more opportunities in front of them. And so whereas the s- self-described unlucky just missed this, the lucky ones saw it. And this happens over and over. I mean, Wiseman did another study with money on the ground and lucky people noticed it, unlucky people didn't. Um, There are lots of things like that because part of the mindset that you need to cultivate if you want to do well is one of openness one of observation one where you're really aware and present and taking in information from the environment if you're closed off if you're just in your own mind saying oh i'm unlucky anyway why bother you're going to miss a lot of the same things and so when chance happens you're not actually going to see it
0: in the book apart from um obviously eric who was like your main mentor you were hunting down like the best of the best and um and one one piece of advice you got from one of them was, uh, it was all about storytelling in poker. And yeah. he, he said, always ask why. Like, why is someone acting this way? Why am I acting this way? Find the why and you find the key to winning. Could you maybe explain a bit more about that?
1: Absolutely. First of all, huge shout out to Phil Galfond, who's the one who gave me this advice and is a brilliant poker player. Just a really good guy. Um, talk about in expectations not meeting reality, I thought that I'd, you know, be meeting this like bro who I'd really not like when, when I first met him because he built a slide to connect two apartments in New York City. But he's just the nicest, most uh, self-effacing guy ever. Um, he and Eric are actually very similar in that regard. Um, and Phil taught me, as you said, something really crucial and something that really spoke to me. Because I'm a writer. I'm someone who tells stories for a living. And he knew that. And he said, that's poker. Poker is all about telling stories well. Figure out what your story is and make sure you tell it consistently. Because that's what trips people up. They change their story midway through. Their narratives don't make sense. They have logical inconsistencies in how their stories play out. Their character wouldn't act that way. It's like sometimes I actually know how someone would play better than they know how they would play a hand because I've thought through the why. Everything needs to be motivated. This is a crucial lesson in both writing and in playing poker. Why are you doing something? Why is this person doing something? Why is your opponent doing something? Why is your character that you're creating doing something? What is the motivator? And a lot of times people will say, oh, I can't play against this person. They're just a bad player. You know, they're crap. I can't, can't play against bad players. And Phil would say, no, that's absolutely not true. Even bad players have a reason for doing what they do. And if you figure out what that reason is, you can take advantage of it. You can exploit it. You can figure out how to counter it. If that reason is, I don't care, I just want to gamble, well, that's a really, really important thing for you to know because poker isn't gambling and it's not about gambling. And if someone for them, if that's what it's about for them, then you can take advantage of that because they're not going to be going through any of the thoughtful decision processes. They're not going to be actually looking at pot odds or at the mathematics. They're not going to be looking at any of the information. They're just there to play. And that's a crucial bit of information that you can then take advantage of and on and on and on. Figure out the why and you're well on your way to figuring out the person and figuring out how to play with them, both at the poker table and in any sort of interaction in real life.
0: You used the word decision making quite a lot then. And that was that was something which I found really interesting because the idea of gambling and risking and losing money always just, it just doesn't sit with me. But then what what came through really clearly was if you make a decision and then whatever the outcome say the hands the the cards go your way or they don't go your way as long as you were happy about your decision making then actually allowed you to almost detach yourself from the outcome sometimes it goes your way sometimes it doesn't go your way but you don't beat yourself up if your decision making is good and then you can go back and be like yeah I actually would have done that all over again and that that made me just that lesson for life you know we don't know what's going to happen in life but if, if our decisions are solid then actually, I think that's a hugely
1: empowering thing. That's absolutely right. And that's one of the key lessons that poker teaches you that is really difficult to learn in real-life circumstances, that the process is separate from the outcome. In real life, we often use the outcome as a proxy for the process, right? If someone was successful, we're like, oh, they're so good. If someone did bad, you're like, yeah, they suck. They're awful at what they do, of course. But is that actually the case? Oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes a person who had a great result, you know, think of a CEO, someone who's at the helm of a company and the company had amazing returns or you're like, this is a brilliant CEO. Another company hires him and he runs it into the ground because he was making bad decisions and he just happened to get really, really lucky because the market environment went a certain direction and the company was doing well anyway. Sometimes The exact opposite happens. Someone brings in a CEO, the company has bad results, they're like, oh, this was a bad mistake, the board fires him, he's gone. And then if you actually look through his decisions, he did everything right. And if they had just kept him on, the company would have started turning around, but this was a really unfavorable environment. Well, people don't tend to do that in real life. We never bother to actually go back and say, okay, is this person good? Are they making good decisions? What was their process? What were they thinking? What was their rationale? Why did they do this? And was it well motivated? And if the answer is yes, okay, fine, great. In poker, if you use the outcome as the proxy for the process, you're going to go broke because there's actually money on the table. It affects your bottom line and the outcome is not the process. And it's a really, really important lesson because there is no such thing in life or in poker as 100% certainty. Life is probabilistic. Poker is probabilistic. The most you can do is make the best decision possible within complete information because you don't know all the cards. You don't know all the variables in life. You know, There's so much noise. There's so much variance. There's so much out there. So all you can do is think through it clearly, have very good reasons for doing what you're doing, gather as much information as you can, look at it in a logical, dispassionate way, have a decision process that's solid where you're going through an actual process and figuring out, okay, why am I doing this? What am I doing? You know, what's the motivation here? And get your money in or your proverbial money, if it's not, if it's not actual money as a favorite. And know that getting it in as a favorite does not guarantee a good outcome. If I get my money in as a 65% favorite, I'm ecstatic. I'm going to do that over and over and over and over because eventually I'm going to win a lot of money. But you know what happens 35% of the time? I lose (laughs) because because even though I made the right decision and I was a favorite that that's going to happen if I'm a 98% favorite that 2% is going to happen and it's going to happen much more often than seems fair because probability has no concept of fairness it has no concept of you it doesn't know who you are it doesn't give a damn about who you are it has no agency even the way I'm talking about it you know that probability just is there's no memory there's no it doesn't know oh you know, we should give her a break now because she's already gotten unlucky twice in a row. So this time we're going to make it go this way. No, our mind thinks that it should. We think that, you know, if we're, if we're unlucky, then it's our turn to get lucky. It's not how it works. And poker really teaches you that and teaches you that you can't change your decision process just because you're getting unlucky. And if you were that 2% person and someone else got in their money in against you as a 98% favorite and you lucked out or sucked out as the poker language is you're not brilliant. Don't forget that. You made a really really bad mistake and you should never do that again even though you want a lot of money.
0: Uh, I love the phrase probability has amnesia. <laughs> when you're like, yeah, is in like if you want if you want to be a great player in poker and in life, you've got to acknowledge that you're not do anything? No one. You're not do no. anything. Good cards, good karma, good health, money, love, whatever. That is just. A, yep. I mean, it's just. It was. It was a lesson that just came through again <laughs> and again.
1: It's so important. I mean, it's something that you just have to hammer home. I, I don't know uh, if this is something that little kids in England say. It's definitely something that little kids in the U.S. say. It's not fair. Absolutely. It's it's this lament that that you have over and over. <laughs> it's so unfair, you know. And my parents were actually. My mom just knocks that word out of my vocabulary. She sat. She's like, I don't ever want to hear that. I don't care. You know, there's no such thing as it's not fair, and it's not really a lesson that I fully internalized until poker, because, you know, it's it's but it's so important because. You can't think of life as, oh, this is fair, this isn't fair. Life doesn't care. There are certain things about life that aren't fair, that aren't equitable. So do something. You know, Work to change those things. There are definitely structural things. There are societal things. We don't play on an even playing field. Poker is a bubble because in poker, it's actually as much of a meritocracy as anything where anyone can play and if you're good, you can actually work your way up. That's not true of anything in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think we need to acknowledge that and say, yeah, sure, um, certain things aren't fair, but those are structural things that we actually need to work to do something about, but you can't lament it and instead just act and figure it out. But if it's a bad outcome, if it's something that happened to you and you made all the right decisions and you did all of the other stuff, then just shut up. You know, there's there's no no reason to say, oh, it's not fair, poor me. Instead of saying, Poor me, say, okay, what just happened? Why did it happen? Did I make the right decision? If so, keep going. If not, how do I improve? What do I do? How do I keep going? And what I think is really important and um I, I think something that hopefully comes through in the book is that poker really does teach you kind of a, a, a much more stoic mindset, which is which is very, very powerful for life, which is Focus on the things that you can control. Focus on the things that are actually in your power to change and work on that. And the rest of the stuff, that's not up to you. So just let go and be okay with that. You can control but you can control so much. It's actually a very empowering way of looking at things. Some people are like, oh, well, that's so depressing, you know. What well if if stuff just happens then I might as well not try and not make any decisions no just the opposite claim agency wherever you can because there are a lot of things that you actually can do you can control your actions your reactions your emotions the way you process things your mental settings your mindset all of those things are within you to control and that's a lot
0: Mm. this ties in with the like the language that we use becomes our mental habits and exactly. so our, our mental habits determine how we learn, how we grow, what we become.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think that we shouldn't underestimate how important framing is. Um, one of the most popular pieces that I've ever written for The New Yorker, I wrote it, I don't remember, four or five years ago, and people still think I wrote it yesterday. That's how often it's shared, is a piece on resilience and on on emotional resilience. And it's something that actually ties in a lot to, to this book because it's all about how nothing is inherently traumatic or traumatizing until you experience it as such right so this is kind of along the lines of probability has amnesia it's not that events have an agenda they they happen and then how you interpret it what your reaction is will determine how you actually process it, and whether or not you're able to get over it. And so this particular piece dealt with children from bad socioeconomic circumstances who were very underprivileged, some of whom were able to get past it and succeed, and others couldn't. And it turned out to be all about that mental framing. How do they see themselves? How do they see the world? Do they see things that's happening to them? which is an external locus of control, as I talk about in the book, or do they see themselves as masters of their fate? People who can actually do stuff who can, okay, something bad happened, but I, I have agency. I can actually do something about this. I can control how I react. I couldn't control that event and it's terrible that it happened, but I can control what I do next. I can control what happens next. I can control my path forward. So that's an internal locus and that's very powerful. And I think that having that sort of mindset makes you successful at life, makes you successful at poker, makes you the kind of person who to bring us back to your one of your earlier questions about Richard Wiseman's study who has more lucky things seemingly happen to them because we're open to them and we've put ourselves in a position to accept them. If you're too busy feeling sorry for yourself and saying, you know, nothing good ever happens to me. Um, I'm always, you know, I'm always the unlucky one. Of course, if you're the Eeyore in the situation, you're going to miss the fact that your tail is hanging on the um, on the tree right in front of you and is Owl's new doorbell. Sorry, I had to bring Winnie the Pooh into it. <laughs> no, no,
0: I, I love that. I actually I read a couple of years ago, I read a book called uh, The Tower of Pooh. Oh,
1: I love that book, Benjamin huh? Please,
0: So no, I'm I'm a big fan of Winnie the Pooh references. <laughs> um it was interesting talking about like complaining about when things don't go your way I think one bit of the uh the tough love that you got early on from um so for anyone who doesn't know um Eric um Seidel 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 is Seidel Seidel, um is one of the most successful poker players of all time tens of millions in career earnings and um Eric became his uh mentor coach and I think like what you you were just like lost like a big hand and you were like beating yourself up and you go and you go to Eric and you're about to tell him all about this hand because you're hoping for him to give you a pat on the back and let's talk it through and he just shut it down straight away didn't he Like you, you were quite taken back he, like, he didn't give it any airtime at all
1: he shut me up he said he said he didn't want to hear about it my jaw just kind of dropped and he said do you have a question about how you played it I was like well I guess not you know I mean it I, you know, I had, and he's like, then I don't want to hear it. He just said that just flat out. And he's such a nice guy. I mean, he never shuts me up. And he just like, he was just like done. And he saw, he must've seen my face and he explained it to me. He said, you know, there's always going to be someone at the poker table talking to you about how their aces got cracked. Um, And for people who don't play poker, aces are your best starting hand possible. And when they get cracked, that means they don't win. And that happens all the time. Because you know what? It's supposed to happen all the time. That starting hand does not mean you're guaranteed to win. He said, don't be that person telling a bad beat story. And what a bad beat is, is when you make the right decision, you get your money in as a favorite and you lose because that bad part of variance, right? The, the part that's against you happens. And as long as you made the right decision, it shouldn't matter. That's outcome focused, right? The bad beat is outcome focused and if you're not getting bad beat that means you're not playing well because you're not getting you're not getting your money and as a favorite you're not being aggressive enough you're not actually taking those spots that means you're folding too much so bad if bad beats are happening to you that's actually good that that's a good sign and he said you know telling a bad beat to someone is like taking your trash and dumping it on someone else's lawn and I mean, I was, I was pretty upset at the moment. I was like, you're my coach. You're supposed to listen to me. But he was so right because it is like trash. It's garbage. It's toxic. It actually poisons you. First, if you tell it to other people, it poisons the atmosphere. No one wants to hear your bad beat story. Let me just say that over and over and over. No one wants to hear it. It's just unpleasant. And everyone... Nods and says, "Uh huh," but they they don't want to hear it. I mean, do you like? Do you have a lot of friends who just all they do is complain to you? And, and do they stay friends for a long time? I hope not, because that that's a lot of very negative energy out there. And he just he really taught me that it's not just toxic to others, but it's toxic to you because you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're letting your mind just be filled with these things that don't matter because the outcome does not matter. So rather than think through other things, important things, okay, how do I improve my decision process? How do I how do I actually think through hands where I had questions, where there were interesting decision nodes, where there were interesting things to consider? Instead of all of that, my mind is just ruminating over something over which I had no control, the outcome of a hand. And he actually told me that He never wants, he made a deal with me that he never wants to know how a hand ended. He does not care if I won or lost. He cares about how I played. He doesn't want to know what the final outcome was unless it's important. So, if we're talking about a player against whom we're going to be playing for a long time, then it's suddenly important what cards they had because it teaches us something about them. It's information, and information is power. You want information. But if that's not the case, if this is just some random player, the outcome does not matter. And I found myself over time really not just agreeing with him, but seeing that That approach made a huge difference in my mindset, in my play, in my life, in the way I was feeling, because I just don't remember bad beats anymore, literally. Like, I don't remember how I busted out of a tournament unless it was a really, really interesting hand where I had to make difficult decisions. And the same is true in life. You know, I've really, it it was a very liberating shift in how to look at the world. As long as you're doing everything right, just the rest is noise, and it's not worth your energy. Take your energy because it's precious. It's a precious resource, and actually use it for something important. It's so
0: true. Like process versus outcome. It just, for example, like um, let's say, uh, okay, I'm whatever in a cafe, and you like you see someone and you want to ask them out, and you're nervous, and like you might go up and ask them out, and then they say no thanks, but I walk away feeling like an absolute hero because I I wanted to talk to them. But I was scared and I did it despite the fear. And I'm like, yes, like awesome. Like I almost don't care if they say yes or no. I'm like absolute winner and it's just it's it's such a different mindset of being like if they say yes then i'm good enough or it's a success if they say no then you it's bad it's like that's such a demoralizing kind of way to it approach is. things
1: it is it really is demoralizing because the outcome isn't up to you mm. all you can do is set up the situation so that you're in a position for the outcome to go in your favor but you don't control it unless you're cheating unless you've rigged the deck and that can be true in poker or in life So unless you're cheating and you've actually rigged the outcome, then you don't know. It's probabilistic. It's uncertain. You have no idea what's going to happen. And why would you focus on those variables? Figure out how you can put yourself in the best possible situation where you have the best chance of success. And then if the success doesn't happen, okay, that's fine. But look, you've, you've done so much. And so you'll keep doing it. You'll do it again and again. And eventually the girl will say yes. And that'll be, that'll be great. And you'll, and you'll have a lovely time after COVID when it's safe to uh, go on dates with people you don't know. Absolutely, <laughs>
0: Stock market returns have been found to be lower on cloudy days and higher on days when a favorite sports team wins. Why?
1: People are really, really bad at discounting their emotions. And they they think they're good, especially traders. I mean traders think they're the most logical, rational people in the world if you talk about them. They're not. And actually in my book I quote Danny Kahneman, the Nobel laureate, who um has done his his Nobel Prize winning work was on decision biases, who who taught who's worked a lot with um investors with people with traders with people in the stock market and has found that while they think they're playing poker they're actually throwing dice and playing craps um, that that's they're gambling because they they have no idea what they're doing in terms of actual probabilistic thinking and their returns do not correlate year after year if you talk to them they're, they're going to say that that's total bs and that's not true moving on but this is this is crucial though because because of your question One of the main reasons why that's the case is that they let incidental emotions, their mood, how they're feeling, affect decisions. And this is true of most people. It's It's a very human way of being. And this is a phenomenon that's called mood as information. So you take your mood, you take how you're feeling, and you actually input it into whatever decision you're making, even if it has nothing to do with it, even if it's something that's just totally beside the point. One of the studies that was kind of the seminal study that that showed this um, was done by two psychologists, Norbert and Schwartz, um, and they called people up in different area codes, and they, they did A lot of work to figure out exactly what the weather was at any given point um, when they called the different people and they would ask them you know basically how are you feeling today you know what's what's your mood and they'd get different answers based on whether people were in sunny places or in cloudy places so people actually were much more positive about life in general on sunny days than on cloudy days but the effect completely went away if they said how's the weather there first um, then they realized that what they were feeling was because of the weather, and then there was no longer any effect on their life assessment, on how optimistic they were feeling, on all of these different things. And so what, what they realized was that people were using something incidental, and when they weren't paying attention to it, when they didn't realize it, they'd actually use it in judgments that had nothing to do with that incidental thing so when we have stock market returns on sunny and cloudy days that actually directly points to that where where people are feeling more optimistic or more pessimistic just based on the weather. And with sports teams, it's the exact same thing. If your favorite sports teams wins, and this happened all over the world, um, South America, Europe, um, different sports teams matter to different places, but all of a sudden markets would go up because it was such a great thing. And if the sports team lost, markets would go down. This is completely irrational, but people are really, really bad at discounting emotions. One of the things you have to learn as a poker player is – How to self-assess, how to realize when you're on tilt, which is a wonderful term for when you let emotions into your decision process, and then how to let go of those emotions. Back to stoicism, how to actually acknowledge them, say, hey, emotions, okay, you're here. I'm not going to use you in my decision because you don't matter. You're actually completely incidental. Sometimes emotions matter. Sometimes they're actually telling you important things about the situation, but Most of the time, the emotions are coming from somewhere else. And so it's really, really important to stress that you're going to experience tilt. Everyone does. Everyone is going to have emotions bubble up because we're human and that's what happens to humans. And so it's not, I'm not saying don't experience emotions. It's self-awareness. It's actually knowing to look at yourself and figure out, okay, what emotions am I experiencing? why, where is it coming from, and to have a mental way of then putting them aside. and in the book and in um, you know in life, there are lots of tactics for how to do this, for how to cool your emotions, how to actually say, okay, emotions, you know let's let's get you out of here. so it's not like it's not willpower. there are actual ways that you can that you can work on this, um, and that you can talk yourself through it. But the most important thing is realizing that it happens. Otherwise you're going to be that person who, you know, likes the stock better because your sports team won or who, uh, suddenly makes a hugely risky play that you shouldn't be making because you're pissed off at this guy. Um, because you know, he, he did something that you didn't like and you think he's bullying you. I've done that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know that you've got, like, you're, you've got to, uh, to head off in like five minutes, so I'm going to squeeze a couple of non speed round questions into a speed round. Um, okay. In a medically documented case, a man was given three months to live after a diagnosis of metastatic cancer. What, what happened next?
1: Um, he died um, because of something. <laughs> <The> called... <end.
0: laughs> yeah. Yeah, next question. Round.
1: Use that speed round. I'm
0: joking, I loved it. <laughs>
1: He died because of something but not because he had metastatic cancer so he did die within three months and they did an autopsy and they found out that he had been misdiagnosed he did have cancer but it was actually not malignant it was completely benign and it could not have possibly killed him so he killed himself. His mind killed him. And this shows what a powerful connection there is between mind and body. So there's everyone knows about the placebo effect, where thinking something works makes it work, which is wonderful. I love the placebo effect. People get really mad at me when I'm like, oh, that's just a placebo. Placebos are great. If it's working, amazing. But there's also a nocebo effect. You can do the exact same thing and actually harm yourself and have your body react poorly because you believe in something bad. So there are cases of people dying because they've been cursed by witch doctors or recovering because the curse has been reversed and and on and on and I talk through a lot of these things um in the book because our beliefs matter. What we actually think matters.
0: Yeah, essentially because you said like the other example you gave was that there's a man he was taking part in a drug trial for depression he decided he wanted to end his life. He decided to overdose on antidepressants. His, he went to emergency room. All of his vitals were completely just shot to shit. And then he found out that actually, out of the two groups, he was the one just having the sugar pill. And then immediately he like recovered.
1: Yeah, and people thought he was going to die because his vitals were so bad. But once they realized that he was taking the placebo and told him, he made a full recovery. So once again, mind, so powerful. Do not underestimate your mind. That's why I'm so against superstitions, because they uh, they put control into another object and don't underestimate the bad effects that that can have on you.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because Carl Sagan said that superstitions may be comforting for a while, but because they avoid rather than confront the world, they are doomed. I loved that. Yep.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I love those quotes. Those, come from, those are actually unpublished. Um, a friend of mine who had access to some of his journals um, gave them to me. Um, so I was very lucky to be able to use them. But I love those reflections.
0: Maria, I'm going to let you go. But uh, I will say there are so many things I could have talked to you about the Dunning Kruger effect. The <laughs> less you know about a topic, the more you think you know. Uh, which I just, yeah, I just found just that that's a whole topic. That's a whole conversation in itself, but, um,
1: <laughs> for sure, for sure. And for me as well, everyone experiences it. And when you realize you've experienced it, you just think, damn, how many times has it happened to me that I haven't come to this realization.
0: And, and, and a game that I want to play with all my friends now is the game Lodden Thinks. Like, oh
1: it's a wonderful game you should definitely play it with your friends i hope to popularize it and give it uh give it wings
0: i'm gonna I'm, i might have to just because that's gonna mean be like meaningless to anyone who hasn't doesn't know about it so maybe underneath the interview i'll have to write just a quick a few lines just to explain what Loden thinks is but um unless, sounds good yeah maria thank <laughs> well, you so I actually, much
1: i have an excerpt in slate on Loden thinks so you can link to that piece
0: perfect okay that's that's good <laughs> Thank you so much. I could have, this could have gone on for hours. There's so Thank many things you. I could have talked to you about. Um, I really appreciate you coming on here today and speaking with us and it's been fascinating.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Happiness.info